Greetings, soul sisters, spiritual brethren, and non-binary siblings. This is the Queer Ritual Podcast, a place to discuss healing, spiritual practices, guided meditations, and self-empowerment with a queer-minded focus. Allies are welcome, too. I'm your host, Ricky B. Malone. My pronouns are he, they. I'm a Reiki master, intuitive healer, and master esthetician based out of the East Coast of the U.S. My goal with this podcast is to empower others to discover their true selves and live the lives they truly want. So I was in a discussion online this past weekend where I ended up having to explain that within my culture there is a third gender. And the discussion got a little bit uncomfortable uh, through no fault of anybody's. I think it's common for people that come from Western cultures to unintentionally reinforce certain gender binaries when trying to uh, impose certain language in discussions about gender. And this can unfortunately reinforce a certain colonialist mentality when trying to impose more Western academic definitions onto other cultures around the world. So today I just want to talk about the concept of a third gender. Keep in mind, I'm going to be bringing up other cultures that are not my own, and I am not an expert in all of the things I'm going to be mentioning in this episode. So when I am familiar with something, you'll probably be able to tell by how thoroughly I can talk about it versus how much I can't, okay? (laughs) So let's first define what sex and gender are before I go into this, just so that we have a solid framework. Sex is referring to biological sex, your chromosomes, XXXY, or your genitalia, etc. Now, the term gender used to mean the same thing as sex, but in the 1970s, within Western academia, uh, feminist theory started to posit that gender, as opposed to being a biological function, is a social function. So gender is the social norms that are attached to masculine or feminine behaviors and traits. So when I'm talking about third genders, I'm going to be talking about social roles, not necessarily legal sexes, although in some cases, some cultures actually do recognize third genders as third sexes. So most cultures around the world do believe in a gender binary, that there is a set of masculine characteristics and a set of feminine characteristics and that those two match your biological sex. But that's not always the case. There are cultures around the world that believe in gender identities that are outside of a modern gender binary. But I don't want to use the words non-binary to refer to these gender identities because that can lead to that problematic colonialist mentality that I was mentioning. So when I go into this list, this is by no means a complete list, nor is it meant to say that these identities I'm bringing up are equivalent or related. Now, some of these identities 
hold special spiritual or social significance in the cultures that they come from. But in other cultures, in other cultures, some of the identities on this list are a source of discrimination. Some of these identities have special legal recognitions in their home countries, although most of them do not. I'm mostly trying to just present the case here that if gender is a social construct, then gender does not exclusively exist in a binary. So we as Westerners can unintentionally reinforce colonialist views by trying to put other cultures' identities within a Western academic framework. So because of that, I'm going to try to avoid using words like transgender, androgynous, or non-binary wherever possible for this reason. I think when you're talking about another culture's gender identities that are outside of a gender binary, it's a lot better to use the actual term that they use as opposed to imposing your own equivalent idea onto theirs. There can be certain misconceptions that come from that when you accidentally use a Western word to refer to another culture. All right, let's get into it. I'm going to start with South Asia. Uh, In South Asia, the hijra is a very well-known gender identity. Uh, Different languages will use different terms, so hijras can also be referred to as aravani or jogapa. Uh, Hijras are a legally recognized identity in some parts of the Indian subcontinent. And then there are also special ceremonies and festivals held specifically by hijras within the Indian subcontinent. Uh, hijras are also mentioned in the Hindu epics, the Ramayana and the Mahabharat. Now, the ancient uh, Hindu texts, the Vedas, which are, were written over several centuries, the Vedas are as old as 1500 BCE. Some of the texts are more modern. As well as the Kama Sutra, the Kama Sutra texts, which were written in the 4th century CE. So the Vedas and the Kama Sutra texts describe three three categories of people. There is Pums Prakriti, meaning male nature. There is Stri Prakriti, meaning female nature. And then there is Tritya Prakriti, meaning third nature. These texts don't specifically define what the third nature is because the culture already knew. It didn't need to be explained in written word. Now, Shiva in Hindu folklore in a specific story, I'm not an expert in this, so I'm not going to say the story from memory, but Shiva in Hindu folklore bonds with the goddess Parvati to become the bonded god Ardhanarishvara whose body is male on the right side and female on the left side. The chakra system within yoga and Reiki also teaches that the right side of the human body is masculine and the left side of the human body is feminine. So people who practice devotion towards Ardhanarishvara are also acknowledging within themselves their own masculine and feminine nature, and that's regardless of their gender identity. But because of that story in Hindu folklore, there are some members of the Hijra community that practice devotion to Ardhanarishvara. 
You know, other members of the Hijra community prefer to identify with the Kannada, which is an animal from Hindu and Buddhist folklore that has the body of a bird and the torso of a human. So there are some Hijras that don't really like the word Hijra and actually prefer being called a Kinara, a Kinara. Now, because of the spread of Hinduism within Southeast Asia historically, you will also find the Kinara in the folklore of India, Tibet, Thailand, Laos, Cambodia, Burma or Myanmar, Indonesia, and the Philippines. So the Kinara... I'm not talking about the folklore. I'm talking about the animal, not not, not the hijras here. The Kinnada is found throughout Southeast Asia, not just South Asia. And that's because of the spread of Hinduism, which is then going to lead me into the next region I'm going to talk about, which is where my ancestors come from, Southeast Asia. <laughs> uh, in Thailand, Laos, and Cambodia, we have the third gender identity known as Gatoy, sometimes translated as ladyboy in English. Uh, it, some... Uh, Gatoy also prefer the term petisam or third sex. So Gatoy is sometimes seen as a sex, a biological sex. Sometimes it's seen as a gender identity. Uh, none of these three countries have any special legal protections that are written specifically for Gatoy. But socially, it is very normal and accepted in society, generally speaking. There are definitely people that have uh, certain a- animosity towards Gatoy. So I don't want to make it a blanket statement. There definitely are some instances of hate towards Gatoy. But just in general, it's very socially accepted. And in Southeast Asia, and definitely even within my own family, uh, it's common for relatives to recognize that their child is Gatoy before their child even identifies as Gatoy. So the term Gatoy applies to transgender women the most often, but I don't want to say that Gatoy is equivalent to transgender woman because it can also apply to effeminate gay men or androgynous presenting individuals. Uh, I don't personally identify as Gatoy in most contexts, but when my own family members use it to refer to me, I don't really care. Um, so let's get into like the more spiritual view of what a Gatoy is. Um, so a Gatoy is seen as, uh, as part of the reincarnation cycle. At some point, the spirit held on to a, a feminine identity after death and then was put into a male body. So a Gatoy is a female mind living inside a male body. The reason that this is not seen as a bad thing necessarily is that uh, this dual experience of both masculine and feminine allows this person to become more compassionate and to have more empathy. So rather than it being seen as a punishment from, you know, whatever, it's seen as a chance to purify one's karma whatever happened in a past life to cause someone to be born as a Gatoy is somewhat irrelevant. I have heard some Buddhist monks out there uh, theorize that, you know, maybe this person in a past life committed some transgression that was specifically gender-based, you know, like 
maybe they committed violence against women or maybe they held a deep animus towards the opposite sex, whether they were male or female. But I'm just, I kind of view these sorts of theories as irrelevant because Buddhism deals with the here and now. It doesn't necessarily obsess about the past. The path to enlightenment is not by obsessing over the past. It's by focusing on your life in the present moment. But I do also like the sentiment that Gatoy should not be discriminated against or judged for whatever caused them to be born in this in-between state or this third sex state. Now, interestingly enough, uh, which I, I theorize personally that it probably also is from the spread of Hinduism, uh, the Philippines and Indonesia also have various recognitions of third genders or third sexes. A very long time ago, uh, Indonesia and the Philippines and then parts of the Malay archipelago uh, were Hindu. Hinduism had spread eastward, but then later uh, Christianity and Islam had also entered those regions. So even though the Philippines now are mostly Christian and Indonesia now is mostly Muslim, uh, some of these Hindu uh, beliefs still exist within these countries and then also there's a lot of hindu influences on the folklore within southeast asia i mean all over southeast asia the mainland and the island nations so in the philippines there's a lot of local variations of gender so within specific towns and villages or within specific uh, ethnic or linguistic groups they'll have another con their their own unique concept of a third gender or sex uh, some of these names are derogatory, so I'm not going to list all of them off because I personally don't know which ones are derogatory and which ones are socially acceptable. So it's really not my place to list them off. But yeah, if you really want to do some research on uh, third genders within the Philippines, there, there are tons of different subcultures there. Now in Indonesia, they also have a third gender called the Wadiya, which I believe is an Arabic term. Don't hold me to that. <laughs> and within certain uh, smaller villages within Indonesia, the Wadiya are also uh, shamanic practitioners. They're seen to have certain spiritual gifts that come from being a third gender. And honestly, a lot of cultures do view third genders as having certain spiritual gifts that men and women don't have. Which I guess will also bring me to the next part of the world I want to talk about, which is Polynesia and the South Pacific. In Hawaii and Tahiti, they have the concept of mahu. And mahu is uh, neither male nor female. Uh, a lot of mahu were born into male bodies, but it also can be seen as irrelevant whether they were born male or female. It's just that... They embody characteristics of both the masculine and the feminine at the same time. Now, within uh, Hawaiian culture, the mahu were also seen as the spiritual healers. There is a uh, there's a short film on PBS. It's on PBS's YouTube channel uh, titled Kapa e Mahu, which goes over the legend of the mahu. Um, and it's it's uh, it's 
basically saying that these three mahu came from a far off land. I forget which one it is, which is why I'm not going to say it. it. They come from a different island and then came to uh, Hawaii. And they were incredibly gifted spiritual healers. And when they realized that their lives were coming to an end, they the three mahu put their souls into these three stones, which are in Waikiki Beach. And the stones had kind of been lost to time, but eventually they were dug up and uh, reconfigured into a monument, which you can go find in Waikiki. The Kapa'emahu short film does go over this in more detail than I remember off the top of my head. But other Polynesian and South Pacific island countries have very related uh, concepts of third gender and they usually have a lot of overlap including linguistic overlap so you'll probably notice it in some of the names in uh, Samoa they have the Fa'afafine and then in Tonga they have the Fakaleiti and then um, the Maori in New Zealand have the Wakawahine and the Chamorro people in Guam have the Paloana these are all, uh, they're all third gender identities. Generally speaking, they are similar to Katoe. They're the feminine uh, embodiment in a male body, usually. Um, but there is also seen to have certain artistic talents or to be the, uh, the teachers of the dance techniques, etc. They... Uh, they fit within more feminine behaviors and feminine styles of dress, but while also having a uh, a male body. I don't want to use the word transgender there because it is its own gender identity, which is kind of what I had said earlier anyway. Um, now, third genders also exist in Africa. Uh, there are the Chibados shamans in the Ndongo kingdom, the Mangaiko from the Umbo people, the Mashoga from Swahili-speaking peoples, and the Ashtime of the Ma'ale culture. Now, I'm avoiding using specific countries here because it's more accurate to refer to specific cultures within Africa instead of the country as a whole in this case. Uh, I haven't really talked about it much, but, you know, certain borders around the world were drawn by the white people. So, when you're talking about African cultures, it's a lot better to talk about the ethnic group as opposed to the country because the borders of the countries were drawn by the white people and the ethnic identities are separate from the national identities, which is also true in Southeast Asia, by the way. You know, I say my people are Lao, but you will have, you'll hear me not use the word Laotian because... Laotian is a national identity. Lao is an ethnic identity. Not to mention there are ethnic minorities all over the place in Southeast Asia, as well as parts of Africa. So it's better to refer to the ethnic group as opposed to the nation in, when you're talking about cultures. That's definitely true in Africa, but that's also true in Asia. I mean, it's, it's really, ultimately, it's just better to refer to the person's culture as opposed to their nationality, just in general, okay? Uh, Latin America, a really well-known uh, third gender is the mujes from the Zapotec communities of Mexico. Singular word would be mujer. Uh, 
which again, it's it's a similar concept to ones I've mentioned earlier. It's someone that's born into a male body, but then embodies more feminine uh, social roles and feminine traits. Now, in the North American indigenous communities, there is the term two-spirit. I feel like a lot of people know of this term two-spirit. But the term two-spirit was actually created in English first and then later translated into various indigenous languages. It is an umbrella term and it's a, it can be an umbrella term for third gender identities within indigenous peoples of, North, of the United States and Canada. But there's also some controversy around that term two-spirit because it can kind of be viewed as a colonialist term that you're forcing one shared identity onto other people. So it is both a term that is embraced as an umbrella term as well as a term that's derided. Uh, Some indigenous cultures in the Americas view uh, the third gender as, you know, a holy person or a shaman. Uh, Some of them, it's just a social role. Uh, I mean, there are dozens of examples of third gender identities within indigenous American cultures because there are dozens of indigenous American cultures. (laughs) So I don't want to go into a full list of just all the different identities that can fit within the two-spirit umbrella because ultimately I think it's better to, again, like I've mentioned this whole time, it's better to use the terms that come from the cultures themselves. I just don't have the time to go into every single example around the entire world. I just really wanted to make the point today that the concept of a gender binary is mostly it's mostly a western concept that's been forced onto other cultures. Some of the identities that I've listed in this episode are identities that are discriminated against in their home countries and not all the time, but a significant amount of the time. It's it's because of religion, uh, especially Christianity and Islam. I don't mean to like single them out because it's sometimes just discriminated across the board. So sometimes it's not religious, but a good chunk of the time it's religious. And we all need to learn to embrace those of us that do break from the norm I also think just the sheer preponderance of cultures that have a third gender identity really prove that this is something innate. This isn't something that was forced upon people or, you know, I think like modern American discourse, we like to, you'll sometimes hear people in the American right talking about how the American left is forcing their values on other people, especially when it comes to gender. And I just don't think that's true. I think the sheer preponderance of third gender identities around the world prove that there's something innate in people that leads them to break from certain gender norms. I don't think it all exists within a binary. That's it for now. I will see you all soon. If you wish to contact me directly or have your question featured in a future episode of the podcast, you can send me an email at tqrpodcast at gmail.com. Or find me on Instagram, TQR Podcast, or my personal Instagram, Ricky Dementia. That's R I K I Dementia. Thank you for listening. With love and gratitude, signing off. <laughs>